good morning. It's a joy to be with you on this particular Lord's Day, and it's been a real joy to be with you, uh, particularly for those of you who joined us at the parenting conference over the past few days. We have really been blessed to spend that time with you, to fellowship with you, to enjoy conversations in between the sessions, and also to open up God's Word together. So I just want to say on behalf of my wife and myself, thank you so much for being so hospitable, for being so loving, for being so kind. The weather, meh, but everything else was great. Really, it's fine. I mean, I, we uh, hail from Kentucky, a landlocked state where the last, I joke around because the last two times I was here in Southern California, particularly at this church actually, it hosted a denominational meeting for me and several other pastors just a few months ago. Uh, it was sunnier back home than it was here. So, But I do believe that you have the sun sometimes. I really do. Why would you lie? So I uh, believe that this is a beautiful, beautiful place. But most importantly, uh, you are just wonderful, wonderful people. And it's just always great to be able to spend time with brothers and sisters you never knew you had. Amen? Like the opportunity to know that we have that bond, that common bond in Christ, it's more than just, oh, we happen to have the same uh, role, we happen to be in the same field of work, but the, the, the common bond that we share, that we have all benefited from Christ's death, burial, and resurrection gets us off to a huge start. And so we are family, and it's a joy to be able to be with you on this particular uh, Lord's Day. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 14. So if you would scroll in your Bible app or turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you're using a pew Bible uh, in front of you, in the seatback pocket in front of you, it's on page 892. Uh, Romans 14, and we're going to be looking at um, verses 1 through 12. Romans 14, uh, verses 1 through 12. If you are physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word and follow along silently as I read aloud uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. This is what the word of God says. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls." And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself 
to God. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we are incredibly grateful to have uh, easy access to hear from you, that we can open up an app or open up uh, the very word of God and hear from you this morning. Would you be with us? Would you change our hearts? Would you change our minds? Help us to leave this place with a greater understanding of you, and may we be changed to be more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. All right, you're ahead of me. It's good. It's fine. Uh, I originally, well, we live in northern Kentucky. We've lived there for the past 17 years, but I'm originally from uh, New York City, and uh, I love the game of baseball. Uh, people have heard that throughout the conference. Do we have any other baseball fans in the room? And I get it. If you don't, we're all sanctified at different rates, so it's fine. But I love the game of baseball. I always have. I'm a diehard fan of the New York Mets and whoever is currently playing against the Yankees. It drives me crazy that they keep changing my game. Stop changing my game, all right? It's not broken. It's not broken. We don't need to keep changing the game. But they changed it yet again, right? They changed it this past year. You may not be aware. Now we have a pitch clock. We have a pitch clock that says that a pitcher, uh, a batter will be awarded a ball if the pitcher does not pitch the ball within 15 seconds or 20 seconds if there's people on base. Uh, conversely, the uh, batter will be awarded a strike if he takes too much time to adjust his gloves. He's standing outside the batter box. He'll be penalized by being given a strike if that clock runs out. And so the timeless game of baseball now has a clock. We also have bigger bases so that it can be more even to run around. We're fixing things that aren't broken, right? These are the last days. This is, this is not good. We don't need to be doing this, okay? Uh, uh, several years ago in 2000, I think it was 14, uh, they added instant replay. Um, for years, for, I mean, for literally since the inception of baseball, the umpire may not be right, but he was never wrong, right? I mean, he would, he would make the call, and it was what it was. There's no go to the tape. You maybe called your friends back home who were watching. Like, if you're watching in person, I would call a friend and be like, how was that call? Was that a good call? Was that not a good call? Or you'd look to somebody else who had the big radio with the antenna sticking up this high, and you're like, what are they saying? Because we only got to see it once, just like the umpire only got to see it once, but now there's replay, and now uh, if something happens and somebody doesn't agree with the call, they can challenge the call, and there's four umpires in New York who watch it, and then they talk to these people, well now it's no longer headsets, it's these little earbuds, and they talk to the umpires, and they stand there, and quite frankly, it makes an already long game longer. But here's the thing when it comes uh, to instant replay that I think ties into uh, the text today, and that is this, some calls are pretty hard to make. Some calls are pretty hard to make. And instant replay, even though I don't like it, uh, brought in some objectivity to the game that it's not just you saw it once, you made the call, and it is what it is. Now it can be reviewed. Some calls are hard to make. Now the people on the opposing side of the call don't think so, right? I mean, there's like, he's obviously out, or, or he's obviously safe. But the fact of the matter is some calls are hard to make. Just like not every call in baseball is as easy to make as like a textbook flyout, not every call in life is as easy to make when it comes to decisions we make in our walks with the Lord. Some are pretty cut and dry. 
Uh, the Bible is certainly clear. It's not, uh, the Lord is not elusive when it comes to sin. He, his word is clear. Thou shall not steal. If it's yours, if it's not yours and you want it, you can't take it without asking the owner. If you do, you're stealing, and that's wrong. Thou shall not murder. If you want to kill someone in cold blood, you cannot. Thou shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Don't lie. You want to say something that you don't know to be true about someone else? You can't. This is conduct unbecoming of a believer. But what about matters of life that the Bible does not speak directly to? There's principles that we can glean from and make decisions as we live our lives according to the Lord. But we don't have a specific chapter and verse to be like, uh, it says right here, this is how you roll. Like, you have to roll this way. Uh, some people work on Sundays, while others think that to be conduct unbecoming of a Christian. Both do so as, as unto the Lord and do so to his glory. Some people believe that smoking a cigar or a pipe is just plain wrong. Others, such as D.L. Moody, think it's only wrong if you smoke in excess, and he defined excess as smoking two at a time. Some, <laughs> true story, it's a true story. Some Christians don't drink alcohol in moderation and don't get drunk. Other Christians don't get drunk by not drinking at all. Some Christians celebrate Halloween and others don't. Some Christians teach their kids about Santa. Some Christians teach their kids that Santa is just Satan misspelled. Think about it for a minute. You never, you never thought of that. Some of you are like, wow, you're writing it down. And others of you are like, that's why we don't do it. Some Christians educate their children at home. Some Christians send their kids to school run by Christians, and some Christians send their kids to the local public school. Some Christians, particularly women, when they're pregnant, back into labor and delivery, and they're like, put the epidural in here and now. Right now, I'll take all the drugs. That's, that's a, I'm taking advantage of modern medicine. Other Christians stay at home, want no benefit of modern medicine, and want to party like it's A.D. 99. And, and, and both do so to the glory of God. Now, as I read through that list, here's my question. How did you react? I know we're laughing, and that's good. I tell you how I would react if I was in your seat and you're reading off that list. I'd not say anything aloud, but if you read that list to me, I'd have an answer for each and every one of them. Yeah, that's right. That's why they do that. Yeah, I bet they do that. These are matters, what we call matters of conscience. Why? Because God doesn't say anything specific about them. That doesn't mean God doesn't care about them. That doesn't mean we can't look to God's word uh, for uh, wisdom as to how we can make decisions according to them. It does, however, mean that God obviously didn't, let me say it this way, care to the point to inspire the writers of Scripture to write specifically about all of these things. And today, we're not going to talk about the individual items on the list I just read. I mean, you can do that over lunch if you want. You're like, Satan, Santa. You can do that, but that's not the purpose of our time in the Word today. What I want to talk to you about today is how you treat people who genuinely love the Lord Jesus Christ, fellow believers who have been born from above, but land on a different side than you when it comes to matters the Lord hasn't given us specific instruction on. I want to talk to you about how you receive or don't receive people on the quote-unquote other side of the issue, other side of the matter. And so as we look at the text today, you'll see Paul doesn't spend much ink talking about the issue at hand, 
but we're going to do our best to understand the issue nonetheless. So take a look at verse 1. Uh, verse 1 in chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And so the Apostle Paul is differentiating here between two types of believers. He says in verse 1, as for the one who is what? Weak in faith, which we can then conclude there are people who he would describe as weak in faith and strong in faith. Uh, for the purposes of this passage today, Paul refers to the weak in faith as one who is placing a restriction on himself or herself as to what he or she can eat as a Christian. We know that from verse 2. If you look at verse 2, he says, one person believes he may eat anything while the what? The weak person eats only vegetables. And so it's important to understand that for, for sure this person is a believer. The, the person isn't weak because he or she doesn't eat meat. You're like, they lack protein. That's, that's not why they're weak. Uh, it's not physical weakness. Paul is describing the person who is weak in their faith in that they still feel threatened or, or shackled by some type of religious or cultural practice of theirs that was deeply ingrained as part of their lives before they came to Christ. Uh, they're not mature in their faith enough to understand and enjoy the freedom they have in Christ to no longer uh, have to live that way. In that sense, they are weak. They're still strongly influenced, for better or worse, by their former religious practices or cultural mores. And it's important to realize also that the, 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 the type of Greek word used here indicates that this is a temporary weakness. And so, like, for example, Jesus and Mackenzie, great friends of ours, and we got to meet their baby, Estella, for the first time when we visited uh, now. And the baby is really tiny and really cute, and we really enjoy being around her. But Sarah and I didn't leave worried, right? We're not like, how's she going to drive? She'll never reach the pedals. We realized that she's only this little for this period of time because that's babies are little. And so, it's a, it's a, is she weak? Yeah, it's a temporary weakness. Lord willing, she'll grow to be a fully-fledged adult. But right now, there's a temporary way in which she is weak because she's young. It's the same word here that's used in the Greek, that this is a weakness that's not, uh, it's not permanent. It's, there's a, a temporary immaturity. There's a, 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 for this season alone, this person is weak in this way. Uh, verse 1, Paul says that we are to welcome that person. The Greek word Paul uses there isn't just to like welcome them as like allow them to enter, hold open the door. It's a, it's a compound word, pros lambano, and the prefix pros intensifies the otherwise basic verb, making it a command. It's not like, yeah, you shouldn't block them from coming in. You should probably let them. It's like, no, go out of your way. Welcome this person. He's not suggesting that this person be welcomed you should probably welcome them. No, he's saying, uh, this is stronger, this is a command. Pros is, is, a, is, is a command to accept weaker believers. It, it always has a, a connotation of a, a personal and willing acceptance of another person. It's, we won't go there today, but in the book of Acts chapter 28, that same verb is used to describe the, the gracious hospitality, the overwhelming welcome uh, that Paul experienced from people in Malta. And so it's this, it's this overwhelming sense of, of welcome. Quite frankly, not to like butter you up, but we felt that from you since day one. I mean, Sarah and I have just been so overwhelmed by your love, your care, 
your kindness, we felt like one of your own since the moment we got off the plane. And we're really, really grateful for that. And you might be looking at us and say, yeah, we're welcoming the weak ones, the Midwesterners. Like, I don't know. But we've really, really enjoyed being welcomed by you and having fellowship and hospitality with you. And so you're a great living example of that type of welcome. Paul is saying, do that for people that you disagree with on matters that are secondary or tertiary. Do that over people who are, for people who are weak in an area that's just kind of temporarily. They're babes in Christ. Estella isn't too small. She's a baby. She's small. Babies are small. Do that. Accept people who are just small for the time being, who are weak in the faith, who are less mature than perhaps they should be and, Lord willing, one day will be. Uh, verse 1 says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But look at how it ends. But not to quarrel over opinions. Uh, not to quarrel over opinions. It's not that the issue should never be discussed. You need to understand that. It's not that the issue should never be discussed. Like, I know we differ on this area, and so we are going to avoid it like the plague. Quickly change the subject. Look, uh, this is uh, a flower. Like, we'll just quickly look around and make sure that we don't talk about it. That's not what Paul is saying. It's not that we shouldn't want to help the weaker sister or the weaker brother become strong. That's one of the benefits of being part of a church family. We, we encourage one another toward love and good deeds. We, we grow one another. We sharpen one another. It's, it's, it's a blessing to be part of the family of God. It's that we shouldn't welcome the person. Uh, we should welcome the person regardless of their weakness, but not simply for the purpose of being judgmental about their sincerely held belief. Don't welcome them for the purpose of debating the issue. Yeah, I'll, we'll let them in. We'll love to let them into our church family because I'd love to give them a piece of my mind. That's what Paul is saying. Don't do that. Yeah, I'd love to see what they're, yeah, no, really, come on in. Like, you want to go? We can go. Don't have that attitude among this person who is weak in the faith, has a different perspective on this particular issue. Welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. And then Paul explains for the next 11 verses uh, why, during which he gives us four reasons we need to accept or welcome the one who is weak in the faith that I'd like to spend the rest of our time looking at with you. Four reasons we need to accept or to welcome the one who is weak in the faith. And reason number one is God welcomes them and so should you. God welcomes them and so should you. Take a look at verses two and three. Verses two and three. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. God has welcomed him. Implied in the text, in fact, just expressly in the text, is that God has welcomed both of them equally, regardless of their belief on this matter, whether one eats meat or not. And quite frankly, if the person is good enough for God... He or she should be good enough for you. Like, it's never good to have, stricter, uh, to have stricter standards than God's. It's never a good place to be in, in in life, have stricter standards than God. To be like, I know God doesn't care, but someone's got to care. Am I right? And you're like, you are not right. That's not, no, you're actually wrong. It's never good to have stricter standards than God. That's what, essentially what Paul is saying. He's raising the point that, if God hasn't made an issue of these things, what right do you have to care about them more than he does? To do so is, quite frankly, pretty arrogant. Uh, I call that canonizing your convictions. 
Don't canonize your convictions. It's not bad to have convictions. It's great to have convictions. As you grow and walk with the Lord and you're like, you know what, I need to think through these issues. I believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. I believe that uh, it's what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and following. All Scripture is God-breathed. That Greek word, theopneustos, literally we're supposed to understand the, the Scriptures, the Word of God, as if they've come out of the very mouth of God. Now, God is spirit. He doesn't have a mouth, right? But, but Paul wants us to understand, to have that word picture that these are the spoken words of God. And they're profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteous, righteousness, that the man of God, that the woman of God, the child of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so just because you look in a concordance in the back of your Bible and you're like, I don't see the word smartphone. I guess God's Word has nothing for me on how I should use technology. No, God speaks either directly or in principle to everything. There's things we can glean from. Now, the things He speaks to directly that are pretty cut and dry, they are what they are. But then there are other things where He hasn't spoken directly and He wants us to apply the wisdom of the Word of God and to pray and to lay it before Him and to choose these things. And then you come to that conclusion, and that's great. That's great. Just don't canonize it. Don't canonize your conviction. Hold it dearly. Uh, Know it. Be at peace with it. Pray about it. Have Scripture to back it up so that you in your own standing before the Lord are at peace and saying this is what the Lord has called us to do and how we're going to handle this situation. That's fine. Just don't canonize your convictions. And so I think there are four things that will happen if you canonize your convictions. Conviction. So a little bit of a sidestep right now. I'm going to give you four things that I've seen happen in my life and the lives of my friends if we canonize our convictions. Uh, The first thing is you'll see the Word of God become secondary to your personal practices. You'll see the Word of God become secondary to your personal practices. In our church, we're going through the gospel of Luke. And so the Pharisees are constantly on my mind because when I am reading through or preaching through the gospel of Luke and I'm trying to find myself in the narrative, uh, I'm trying to be more like Jesus and less like the Pharisees. And yet I find in my own heart and mind that I am a lot like or can be a lot like the Pharisees. And I'm doing my best to, to imitate my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as I look at the text and I see what the Pharisees have done, they have canonized their convictions, their practices, their traditions on a whole host of issues. And, and, and their preferences and their laws and their culture, they were more familiar with those things than the Word of God. And that's, what, that's why they accused Jesus relentlessly over things, of breaking these laws and, and breaking the Sabbath laws over and over again, where in actuality he wasn't breaking laws at all, but he was swimming upstream against their preferences and against their culture. If you canonize your convictions, you'll see the Word of God become secondary to your personal practices. And then closely related to that, you'll find yourself judging, uh, judging yourself and others according to your own standards. So when the Word of God becomes secondary and your own personal standards and preferences and well-thought-out convictions about things start to become primary, that will be the lens through which you start looking to people. That will be the lens through which you start looking at the world. And you'll start not having a biblical worldview, but having a personal worldview. And the Bible takes a second seat. If you canonize your convictions, you'll find it difficult to celebrate the mercy and grace of God 
at work in others. That's another thing I see throughout the Gospels, right? The Pharisees' obsession with their homemade laws caused them to see Jesus as a real threat to their system, to their way of life, instead of the Savior that he was. Instead of being curious followers who were open to what he had to say, they became angry observers. And so you will, if you canonize your convictions, if you think you're all that and what you think about a certain situation is all that, you'll become pretty impressed with yourself and less impressed with God and his word. And finally, what you'll do is you'll likely move from faithful follower to a factious founder. From faithful follower to a factious founder. Uh, I think it's Proverbs 22.10 that says, drive out the scoffer and quarreling will cease. Sometimes you'll become so so impassioned about, about this particular issue, this particular topic that you've spent a lot of time thinking about and a lot of time searching through God's Word about, that it becomes your all in all. You start to kind of recruit other people and people who see it like you, then you become this little subculture within the body of Christ, but instead of it being helpful, it ends up being hurtful. You don't see it on the inside because you're like, the four of us have got it right. And everybody else needs to be more like us. But it becomes more factious than it becomes faithful. It is more hurtful and harmful than it is helpful. Don't canonize your convictions. Uh, God welcomes these people, and therefore you should welcome them too. Uh, Number two, God strengthens them, and God strengthens you. Uh, Back to Romans 14. Look at Romans 14 in verse 4. Paul says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Another reason Christians should accept Christians is because the Lord strengthens and sustains them all. The person who is weak in their faith is being strengthened and sustained by the Lord. And you know what? You might be a more mature Christian. You might have a more scripturally solid foundation upon which you have built your opinion about whatever that secondary issue is. But you know what? The person who is strong, mature, wise in the Lord, mature in their faith, perhaps even having been walking with the Lord for years, if that's you, you too are being strengthened and sustained by the Lord. You haven't gotten to the point where you're just like, I don't need the Lord. That's like training wheels. I'm on my own. I'm good, bro. It's fine. Here, we realize that the strong and the weak are alike in this. We are both being strengthened by the Lord. And so, what right do you have to pass judgment on a fellow servant when you yourself are also a servant of the Lord? You are infinitely more like the person that you disagree with than you are unalike. And both you and that other person are being strengthened, sustained by the Lord. Number three, God is sovereign over them and over you. Look at verses five through nine. Uh, This is kind of like a a list of sorts that kind of, I I read off some things that Christians tend to disagree with in the beginning of our time together. And Paul is, is, is doing something similar here, beginning in verse five. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another. Another person esteems all days alike. Each one, you know what, should be fully convinced in his own mind. 
The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and also gives thanks to God. None of us lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And here we see, particularly in those final verses, God is sovereign over uh, the length of our days and the ways that we walk and how we please him. He's sovereign over all of those things for the person who holds your belief on this matter and the person who holds an opposing or different belief on this matter. We need to welcome these people and love them because God welcomes them, God strengthens them and sustains them, and God is sovereign over them. Uh, they are in his hands. If God wants them to change, he will bring that about. And you're like, yeah, he'll bring that about. That's why he sent me here. It may not be you. It may, there is no vacancy in the Trinity. Right? God's not like, I've got the, we've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and I really need Tom. <laughs> God can do this on his own. He might use you, and if he does, we praise the Lord for that. But for you to make it your personal mission, your personal conviction, this is why God has called me to this earth right now. This is my time. This is my thing. I'm going to change what people think about this because I have been enlightened. God doesn't need your help. God, does not, God, God loves you as his child. I'm glad he saved you. God is very unimpressed with me. It's the same with you. God doesn't look at, wow, that Peter, he can really, whatever. He, that, wow, that Jenny, look at how she rolls. He loves you, but he's not like, whoa, this is different. I mean, God spoke the universe into existence. You think he's impressed with me speaking through a mic and preaching? He's like, ooh, it's good. I gave him that ability. He's like, I expect, yeah, this is about on brand for what I was expecting. And God is sovereign over all of these things, sovereign over you, sovereign over me, sovereign over the person who is strong in their faith in this area and who is also weak in their faith in this area. None of us, verse 7, lives to himself. None of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. We die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. Why? Verse 9, for to this end Christ died and lived Again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Uh, finally, point number four, uh, God will judge and doesn't, doesn't need your help in doing that. Uh, verses 10 and following, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written... As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So similar to what we were saying before, I kind of got ahead of myself, but God doesn't need our help in judging. He's fine. He's doing just fine on his own and he's going to. And he's really not worried about it. He's not pacing around the throne room of heaven thinking, what, are we, what am I going to do? He says every knee will bow. It's a matter of time. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that I am who I am. 
And then verse 12 says, each of us will give an, of an account of what? Himself to God. Not an account of how many people you've won over to your little corner of truth. Each one will give an account of himself, of herself. You'll give an account of yourself to God. How you're walking through life. How you're seeking to be pleasing to the Lord. That's what you'll give an account of. But finally, there's one place I think I want to land and remind us of these things. So, number one, we need to welcome people because God has done so, right? Number two, God strengthens them and also strengthens you. So if you're the strong person in this situation, great. But understand, that strength comes directly from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, James 1. Uh, number three, God is sovereign over them and you. And number four, God will judge and, quite frankly, doesn't need your help. But I want you to look again at verse 10, if you would. Verse 10, why do you pass judgment on what? On your brother. Why do you despise your brother? Uh, apart from Paul's instruction to love one another with brotherly affection, this is, I know you're working through the book of Romans. This is the first time Paul has mentioned the term brother since Romans 12. But he ties it back in here basically to remind us of the fact that we are family. We're family. This isn't just someone with whom you disagree. That's your sister. That's your brother. You should care more about the fact that we are family than the fact that you disagree on this particular issue. Sarah and I have four kids, uh, 19 down to 9. We have a 19-year-old son, a 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, and a 9-year-old son. It happens. I mean, they, they still bicker and they'll fight every now and again, but especially when they were younger, and they would kind of really go at it. There are times when as we're uh, interjecting ourselves to try to break it up or to try to help them settle it, where we will look at them and we'll say, Justin, that's your, see if you can finish the sentence. Justin, that's your brother. Calling to mind, this is somebody with whom you, you should agree more than you disagree. This is your brother. That's your sister. Son, that's your sister. We're family. This is important. Now, that's not to say if the behavior would necessarily be acceptable with the neighbor kid, right? Son, that's your bro. Oh, that's the neighbor. You're good. Follow through the elbow. You want to really get, like, we don't, we wouldn't then approve of it. But we do want to remind our kids, hey, this isn't just anybody. We want to love our neighbors. We want to love our enemies. We especially want to love our family. This isn't just someone else. This is family. Paul reminds us who we're dealing with. The people in question shouldn't be defined by the issue they're talking about. There's the meat eater, looking all big and bad.
it's easy kind of to easily laugh it off because we're talking about like eating meat, meat sacrificed to idols, vegetables. This isn't really a thing in our culture, right? I mean, maybe this is something you get talked about. I mean, you can, you can eat steak, you can eat quinoa, you can do all the things. It's fine with me. I'm, it doesn't keep me up at night. Chances are you have a thing. I, I don't know what the thing is uh, until I poke against it, and then you're like, oh, I guess I do have a thing. Like, what's your thing? What about you? I think uh, my first three weeks, not I think, I know my first three weeks of vocational ministry were in New York City, and my third week, my third week was 9-11. And I was the only pastor at the church at the time. Uh, One of them had gone, one of them was having knee surgery. Another one I still joke around to this day, he was going to a conference to learn things he already knew. It was this conference he always went to that was more fellowship and everything. And so here I am, the, the, the noob, back in New York City as planes are flying into buildings and the world is coming to an end. Twelve of our people trapped down there. By God's grace, all of them survived. We were all on the same side. I don't know if you remember that or what that was like for you or where you were that day, but it really didn't matter where you lived or It kind of didn't even matter if you were religious or not, if you were a Christian or not. We were all fearful, concerned, angry, hurt. I think what's made these past three years in particular for me the most difficult time in ministry since 2020 is not everybody's on the same side over almost anything, right? Almost anything. You can't bring up a certain topic that we've wrestled with over the past three years as a nation and as a, as a, just as a people, as a world, and just be like, I'm pretty sure they think what I think. Because I've been wrong time and time again. Time and time again. How do you do with people who interpret things differently than you but still love Jesus? They really love Jesus, but they feel differently about Masks. They really love Jesus. They just feel differently about the vaccine. They really love Jesus, but they feel differently about how we're supposed to live lives or why they voted the way they did or all of those things. Friends, I have strong opinions about all of those. Do I strike you as a shy person? Like, I have strong opinions about all of those things. But what this passage reminds me is we are family, right? And so it's not that I'm afraid to talk about those things. I'm actually so not afraid to talk about those things. But I have to be careful and slow my roll because sometimes the way I talk about those things, the way I can express myself about those things can show I care a lot more about where you stand about that issue than the fact that you and I are family. Verse 10, why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? There it is. It's that pastoral, even paternal reminder from the Lord as if he were screaming out to me across the yard saying, that's your brother. That's your sister. We are a family. 
And the fact that we're family means that we share a common heavenly father, a common saving faith in Christ, a common sharing in the bond of Christ's love, and a common acceptance by our God. Not because of what we've done or where we stand or what we think, but because of what He's done. Because of what we celebrated last Sunday, because he died, because he rose, and because he lives, we can face tomorrow. I want to ask our worship team to come to the stage at this time. I want us to look at that final verse in our passage today, verse 12. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. What about you? I don't really, I just have to confess, I don't really know exactly what that is going to look like, giving an account of myself to God. I know it's not going to be like pass-fail to get into heaven. I'm going to heaven because of what Jesus did. There's still like an accounting of like, how come… I'm still going to have to give an account of myself to God. And so I'm curious, whatever your thing is, whether it's food or dress or music or alcohol or politics or whatever your thing is that you have a strong conviction about, is that going to help or hurt you on the day where you give an account before the Lord? Is God going to be very excited about how you honored him when he came to talking about these, these things? Or is he going to say, yeah, that really, that really tripped you up. That, wasn't, that was less than helpful when it came to showing people my love, when it came to showing people that we are family, when it came to being uh, the sweet-smelling aroma of the knowledge of Christ, that kind of, that, that stunketh. And so it's my prayer that God would, from His Word, convict us, show us where in our minds and in our hearts and in our lives maybe we need to take it down a notch so that we would be more faithful followers. It doesn't necessarily mean you need to change how you roll on those issues. But if you're known by them, uh, that's Peter, he's really politically motivated. That's probably not best. It shouldn't be the sweet-smelling aroma of the certain side of an aisle, but the sweet-smelling aroma of the knowledge, the love of, the transforming grace of Christ. And so it's my hope and prayer that uh, as we leave today, as we go from here, as we go from being, we like to say, at the church gathered to the church scattered, that the Word of God would be having an impact on our minds and on our hearts that we would remember what really matters, what really counts, what primary issues are, what secondary and tertiary issues are, and that we would make sure that we love one another based upon the primary issues of our faith. Jesus Christ died, Jesus Christ was buried, Jesus Christ was raised according to, the, according to the Scriptures on the third day, 
and because of the gospel, which is of first importance, each and every one of us gets to know one another, love one another, and serve one another and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. May that be what is said of us uh, as the Lord calls us to account for the life and the time that He has given us to serve Him and please Him. Father in heaven, we are humbled and convicted uh, by Your Word. Uh, We pray, Lord, would You have Your way with us? Would You now do what no preacher can do? Uh, No preacher can do what I, I can preach generally to a room, but now we leave it in Your hands that You can now preach and apply Your Word individually to brothers and sisters in Christ, individually to each and every one of us, and you would show us, uh, Lord, where do we need to be uh, less concerned about a certain issue and more concerned about the body and the unity of the body of Christ. Do that for your glory and our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.